Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Reminder that tonight uh, we have Mosaic Choir and Orchestra. Um, we are going to do this as a benefit concert for Ukraine, and John, we will take an offering for the Nehemiah Center in Uzgorod tonight and uh, encourage you, if you're able, to give uh, to that. Um, we have already been able, through your generosity, to bless the uh, the uh, Nehemiah Center uh, in Uzgorod. John gave us an update last Sunday on the work that's being uh, being done there. PK and Carrie, so good to have you guys back at North Sound. Um, we have um, snowbirds like um, Bob and Cece who, uh, and others who have been down and, and back now. Um, welcome those of you that have in that role. But these guys decided they wanted to go to the sun permanently. And much to our regret, um, they have been so much uh, a part of the North Sound family in so many different ways. We have really missed you folks, and it's so fun to see you. PK is going to run sound for uh, the concert tonight. And PK, did you fly the Cirrus up? You know, is, do you have it now, though? Oh, okay, wonderful. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> uh, PK is, a, in addition to what he does as a, a sort of a tech guru uh, in his day job, he also um, enjoys flying and just uh, got into a beautiful airplane called a Cirrus with a partner. And uh, so we're looking forward to seeing that one of these days. We are going to complete our series, and uh, I hope you're ready for a short uh, sermon today. Everybody said amen. amen. We want you to come back tonight, so uh, it'll be fairly, it will indeed be fairly short this morning. We have reached commandment 10 of the Ten Commandments. How cool is that? And uh, the last couple of Sundays, I have been blessed to be able to take one commandment per Sunday rather than two. It's been really hard to try to manage those two commandments. And uh, today, of course, is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. You heard about the things that are going to be happening this week that we want to invite you to. Wasn't it wonderful to see the children um, with the palm branches? It's, uh, they, they add a certain energy to, uh, to the room. So this one uh, is an interesting one. We're going to unpack it together, but let me read it first of all from Exodus 20. Verse 17, commandment number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So what's the problem here? Well, it says you shall not covet. And I think it's somehow appropriate that you shall not covet would be the last commandment because... In some ways, coveting lies at the heart of all of the other violations of the other ten command or the other nine commandments. As we've gone over those nine commandments, we have at the heart of them the desire for something different, the desire for something more than uh, what we have and uh, who we are. It's to place oneself first and have everything that one desires that's kind of at the root of the sin associated with the violation of the Ten Commandments. Some of you remember The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. It came out about, I don't know, 15 years or so ago. And it was a, it was a bestseller, but it was an unusual bestseller 
in that it began with the words, it's not about you. Yeah, was that you, Crystal? Thank you. It's not about you. I mean, who wants to read a book where the first line of the book is, it's not about you? But the 10th commandment says that in our lives, many of us are saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. This was the way things were for Adam and Eve in the passage that Tom read for us this morning from Genesis. Whatever else we believe about Genesis in terms of uh, the, the story of Adam and Eve and the, the historicity, that sort of thing, they, they, they also provide a story, a wonderful story of each one of us. And we see so wonderfully played out, or terribly, tragically played out, if you like, in the text. The fact that God had given this couple everything. They were literally in paradise. And in the passage Tom read, the only thing they couldn't have was the one thing, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And what did they covet? What did they want? They wanted the one thing they couldn't have. They coveted the one thing they couldn't have. And they wanted to be like God. So the only thing that they saw that, that would separate them from God, the only thing that really was there to covet, because they had everything, was being like God. And, of course, the serpent came in and tempted them, tempts us in our desire to be like God. This commandment says, in its violation, it says, don't be content with just a little more insight, you can live like God. They coveted just a little more knowledge and it led to such a big failure. So the logical question then that comes up is, why do we covet? Why do we covet? Well, as we've explored the Ten Commandments together, <clears throat> I think we have to agree that none of us are untouched by the Ten Commandments. It's something that we have all had to deal with, those failures in our lives in one way or another. And at the root is the desire to control our lives. It's the desire to be in control. We think we know what we want, and we want it now. And in our lives, it begins with, I want, whatever that may be, and then it transitions to, I need, right? You ever tried, guys, to explain to your wife why you need a new car or something else in your life, and it, it moves from wanting something to really needing it, right? That's, that's, the way we, that's the way we kind of prepare ourselves for that thing that we want to covet, that thing that we need. We'll find happiness when we have a boat that is 10 feet longer, when we have a a house that's a hundred, or excuse me, a thousand feet larger, a car that has a hundred more horsepower, or perhaps a job that pays $50,000 more, and the list goes on and is probably a little bit different for each one of us. Barb and I went for a motorcycle ride a while back. Um, I had bought a 1996 Yamaha Virago 1100, and I used it to go back and forth to Naval uh, Base uh, Kitsap, where I worked at Navy Region Northwest. And then Barb and I sometimes would, uh, would take the bike and go on a little run. And 
we, uh, this one particular day, we took the bike and uh, we were getting on the ferry in Muckleteal. Those of you that ride motorcycles, some great roads on Whidbey Island. So we were at the Muckleteal Ferry. We pulled on and we were just fine and content with our lives when what should pull up beside us but a Triumph Thunderbird? <laughs> a new Triumph Thunderbird with 1,600 cubic centimeters. And space. I mean, you know, um, lots of, you know, lots of room for old people that are larger than they used to be. I mean, it was just, it was a great bike. And, and so the coveting begins. My bike costs $3,700. That bike would add at least ten or 15000 to to the price tag. But as I got over that, as we were riding and having a nice day, I was doing better. And then we came back and got on the ferry again. And you know, motorcycles get on the ferry first. We got on the ferry first. We pulled up. And what should pull up beside us but a new Ducati? And the Ducati is about $20,000. And oh, it's so beautiful. I want it. I need it. I don't know what it might be for you. But the problem is that when we possess what we want... And it's not always physical things, but when we possess what we want, the cycle begins again because the things we possess begin to to run down. They they lose their luster, and then we want something else in our lives. Ambition is not necessarily a bad thing. The gifts that God gives us are not bad things, but coveting is to go over the line in the direction of lust. Lust is more than a sexual phenomenon, We can lust after things as we covet them. We want those things that are just beyond our grasp. And rather than live with joy, we find discontent as a steady state because we always want something different and something more. David Robinson was one of my all-time favorite basketball players. I am not a a big current basketball fan. I, I actually don't follow it very closely But uh, I love David Robinson, and it may have to do with something that he's a graduate of the United States Naval Academy. Perhaps that endeared him to me. He played for the San Antonio Spurs and uh, was was a star in his time. But he talks about watching later in his life, watching Michael Jordan. And he talked about Michael Jordan embracing the trophy for the Chicago Bulls' first championship season. And he said he watched Michael Jordan hold that piece of metal, he said, as though it could validate a life. And then he goes on to say, here I am, Robinson says, with five cars, two houses and more money than I ever thought I'd have. What more could I ask for? But where am I going? Here's Michael Jordan. He has more than me. And boy, I'd like to have some of the things he has. But is the world setting a trap for us? He says, what I had should have been plenty. But no matter how much I had, it didn't seem like enough because material things can never satisfy your deepest needs. And that's when I started to realize I need the Lord. Our coveting is fairly obvious around material things. But again, in our lives, for some of us, it may not be material things at all. There may be other things in our lives that we need to address. As I was working on the sermon this week and as I was thinking about it, I, I, pondered, I pondered something about contentment. 
I pondered contentment. And I realized that contentment has behind it a theological issue, a theological quality. And the theological issue or the theological quality behind contentment is whether or not we believe that God is good. Do we believe that God is good? When we look at the suffering in Ukraine, the, the senseless bombing and, and um, the, the, the prayers of the people, the subway prayer that we witnessed here, We sometimes have pause when we ask the question, is God good? Sometimes hard to answer that question in the affirmative. When we suffer in our own lives, we wonder, is God good? But friends, how we answer that question makes all the difference in the world. The transcendental values are identified as truth, goodness, and beauty. And as transcendental values, values that are, that are above all of us, that we all long for, that are transcendent, that is, values that we all have some kind of an appreciation for, were developed an understanding by ancient philosophers, but as Christians, we have a very clear understanding of truth, goodness, and beauty, and we believe that truth, goodness, and beauty are part of the revelation of God, of who God is. And so we have, as Christians, we have what we call special revelation, and special revelation is um, what we're going to celebrate in Holy Week, and that's Jesus coming into the world we call it the incarnation. Someone who was fully God became fully human in the incarnation, and, and we welcome him into the world as God's revelation. It's special revelation to human beings, and we will recognize that special revelation this week. We also have the scriptures, and the scriptures are God's truth, his special revelation to us, and the scriptures reveal to us God's truth, his goodness, and his beauty. As Christians, we recognize those values. Kenneth Samples observes this. He said, God doesn't have truth, goodness, and beauty. Rather, God is truth, goodness, and beauty. We can state it this way. All truth is God's truth. All goodness is God's goodness. All beauty is God's beauty. When God created, he imbued the cosmos with truth, goodness, and beauty. Philosopher Peter Kreef says, everything that exists is in some way true, good, and beautiful. And humans, via the imagio dei, the image of God, are able to know the truth, desire the good, and love the beautiful. The fall of humankind into sin disordered man's natural capacities, but through the redemption found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, humans are brought back into a right relationship with God with these revealed values. According to historic Christianity, humans as creatures have been made to know and worship the triune God, and our present longing for truth, goodness, and beauty exists because these values reflect the ultimate source 
which is the maximally perfect God. When we pursue truth, goodness, and beauty in this life and in this world, we are tracking the majesty of the Lord. And so this morning, we're focusing more on one of these, and that is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Do we believe fundamentally in our hearts that God is good? And when we do that, we come to the conclusion that what's here on this earth is not all that there is. There is goodness of God that outlasts suffering in this life. In Hebrews 11, we have a record of who the great cloud of witnesses are that are mentioned in chapter 12 of Hebrews, but in chapter 11, they're sort of itemized. And, and, and it's, it's, a difficult, it's difficult to read chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Hebrews talks about the heroes of the faith. But it talks in chapter 11 about those who were tortured. Those who for their faith were sawn in half. Those that were martyred. And then he talks about the fact that these who lived by faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Yesterday was a feast day in the Anglican church. And in the Anglican church, if you, if you follow along with devotions with the Book of Common Prayer, they will identify um, a, a feast day. And a feast day is where they, they kind of take a pause and talk about a, a hero of the faith, someone who has gone before. And yesterday it was a feast day for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We've talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer here at North Sound. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran priest in Germany during the time of the rise of the Nazis. He became implicated in a plot to assassinate Hitler to stop the suffering and the war and with all of the association he had there and with what was called the Confessing Church uh, in, uh, in Germany, um, they imprisoned him and he was killed one month before the Allies liberated the prison in which he was held. And it seemed like as he got closer to death, he had a greater realization that he was about to die. And among his last words were these. He said, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. This is the end for me, the beginning of life. I think, friends, during this pandemic, we have all experienced losses, some more than others. Some folks have lost their health. Tonight in the concert, I know that Pastor Allen is going to acknowledge those uh, Mosaic members who have passed away over these last two years. Some have lost our health some of us have lost a job. Some of us have lost a loved one. 
in the midst of all of this, it's not always easy to say that God is good. But ultimately, this question upon which the Tenth Commandment rests is a question that says, can we be content in the circumstances of life in which we find ourselves knowing that God has much better things in store for us? Can we be content in the circumstances of life in which we find ourselves now knowing that God has much better things in store for us? The Bible gives us a radically different picture than the world of what happiness is, what contentedness is. Paul writes to his young friend Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He writes later about something he has learned in Philippians. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing poverty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice in this passage, Paul talks about something he has learned. He has learned to be content. What that suggests to me in the life of this great saint is that contentment isn't necessarily something that comes to us automatically something that is inherent in who we are as human beings, but in fact, it's learned through experience. It's learned through life. He learned contentedness. And he learned, interestingly, how to be content when things were going extremely well, when the fridge was full, when the gas tank was full, when there was a great place to live, he could be content. But in the midst of poverty in the midst of health issues and challenges, he could also be content, and he learned it through experience. We learn something about the heart of the Father in Matthew chapter 7. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, if we believe that God is good, we can find contentment in Him. We would rather be in the palm of His hand than have anything else life could offer. I doubt if too many of you are familiar with the name Adam Gardner. Excuse me, Alan Gardner. Alan Gardner was a Royal Navy officer and later in life, was a Christian missionary to the area of Patagonia. Patagonia is down at the bottom where Argentina and Chile kind of meet at the very tip of South America. He experienced many physical difficulties in his missionary work and his hardships through service to the Savior. And he said this, he said, well, God gives me the strength Failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island, which is a part of Patagonia there at the southern tip of South America. When his body was found, his diary was found nearby. 
And they picked up his diary and they read the record of his hunger and his thirst and his wounds and his loneliness. But the last entry in that little book showed his struggle because his, his writing had now gotten shaky. It was hard to read it. But in that shaking hand, as he tried to write legibly, he closed with these words, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Friends, may God help us through the trials of this life with the knowledge that we are but resident aliens and that we look for home, a place where so much better a life is to come through God's grace and God's love when we believe He is good and we find contentment in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this Palm Sunday for the, the wonder of the cross that you came into the world and as Holy Week begins with the Palm Sunday and the cheers of the people, but we know, Lord, it led to Good Friday when you became the means by which our sins are forgiven, when you brought us into eternal life in relationship with the Father. And Lord, we thank you that beyond the cross is Easter. And Lord, we thank you that because of Easter, we too will live. And until that time, Lord, when you return or we go to be with you, that you would help us to live lives of contentment, knowing that you are a good God. In Jesus' name.